we've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? All right, welcome back to the podcast. And today we have, or I have, a one-off episode. I don't, I don't know, what do you call them? Uh, normally I do interviews, and I have a couple of interviews scheduled for next month, uh, that is in August. My July interview that I had scheduled, uh, the person had a family crisis, and so I'll be rescheduling with her. I, I hesitate to tell you who it is, just in case. We can't, I can't get her back. Uh, so I, I am looking forward to the next couple of episodes that I have coming up, interview episodes, but this is uh, kind of a one-off. And I want to talk about today, Jesus, Mark Driscoll, and the Infinite Game, which I just have to say that I do feel slightly guilty about having Mark Driscoll in the title, like it's clickbait or something. This is not a clickbait uh, episode, but uh, there's a new podcast that just dropped called the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, this is the Mars Hill in Seattle, Washington, not the one uh, that was planted by Rob Bell in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ironically, though, you know, both of those churches were planted right around, right around the same time, and they were both doing cutting edge, just kind of cutting edge things, right? And the leaders were so radically different. Rob Bell and Mark Driscoll, in case you aren't aware that they were radically different in their approach, uh, in their theology, in the way they viewed women, like just so many different ways. Uh, uh, so if you haven't checked it out, I think they've already done five episodes. I binged all of them last night and there's still more episodes to come. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. And it's put out by Christianity Today. I'm actually really impressed. This is so my guess is because nobody is buying or very few people are buying actual print copies anymore. Most people are reading their magazines online. This is kind of a new uh, area that they're moving into. And I think they did a great job with it. It's very well done, especially the editing and the music. I was listening to the, I was, it really struck by the music in one of the episodes, I'm like, wow, this is pretty dark. Uh, just, it was like ominous music uh, over, like in the background of the episode. Oh, and a couple of things, you know, I had barely been a Christian when Mark Driscoll came on the scene and, and wasn't really familiar, didn't really even get to, he didn't really kind of come on the ra my radar until maybe the early 2000s. He planted in 1997 uh, the Church of Mars Hill. And one of the things they point out in this podcast, I don't want to be, I don't want it to be a spoiler, um, but there's just some things I think that are, are interesting that, you know, he started with this same passion and zeal that we all have when we plant churches and he just wanted to reach the lost. But there does seem to be like, as, as they look back and they, and they see, they look at his personality and things that were happening, like you saw the undercurrents uh, in the dark side of his personality early, really early on. And it reminds me of this book I read early on in ministry. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna have to find the actual 
title of this book. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership by Gary McIntosh. Uh, and talks about our shadow side, right? Um, how our strengths can also be our, our strengths are also our weaknesses. They're just from one extreme to the other. For those of you who are strength finders people, we call this the ceiling and the basement, right? A ceiling is when we are really healthy and we're leaning into our strengths. And then the basement is when we're not really very healthy. Uh, and then how uh, our strengths can spiral out of control and actually become our weaknesses. And we all fall into that category. All of us, all of us have moments when we're just not at our best, right? We didn't get the sleep we needed. We, you know, we didn't eat healthy. Uh, we're over, overextended, uh, overtired, overhungry, you know, overstressed. And, and that's when we, we just not able to, to lean into our best. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we've gotten away from Jesus. Sometimes it does. Sometimes, uh, for those of us who are Christians, um, we've allowed our relationship with Christ. We've just gotten really distant from him and we're not leaning into him and relying on the, on the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and help us. But sometimes it's just a matter of, we've, you know, we've all experienced this over the last uh, 16, 18 months with the pandemic where like we just really realize how limited we are. We, we have limited mental, physical, uh, emotional, and spiritual. Uh, we have limits to all of those areas of our life. We're not infinite beings. And so uh, we just, we have to, we have to take care of ourselves. So in this podcast, he talks about this idea that as they as they look back, they see uh, the under the undergirdings of his, Mark Driscoll's personality, and really, you know, so far they've only I think used the word narcissism a couple of times. My guess is there's probably an episode coming up down the road where they're going to really delve into that. I, I'm going to put a, a YouTube video link in the show notes for this. But there's a difference between narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. Uh, and so the psychologist that I was uh, listening to was saying that narcissism is just a character trait. All of us can display narcissistic tendencies or characteristics at any given time, right? Like uh, like we can be positive or we can be negative or um, we can be narcissistic uh, or uh, we can be charismatic or we can be somber or sober in, in our, like, it's just a character. It's just a, a personality trait that we can all display and we all do at different times, right? Narcissism is this idea of here is the actual definition for you. Narcissism is the is selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration as a as characterizing personality type. Now, this is a little bit different from narcissistic personality disorder. All of us can be selfish and self-centered. And you know what? Uh, there are times when you've just had a bad day and you have nothing left to give and you have you're just not empathetic or so, and sometimes it's just a lack of ignorance 
right? It's a place that we're at in this time and place where a lack of ignorance, or I mean, in our ignorance, a lack of understanding causes us to come across as narcissistic. I think about this a lot with people who haven't experienced uh, grief in the sense of the death of a loved one. Like you can express your empathy for somebody, but really until you've, ex- until you've lost a loved one, uh, until somebody super close to you has died, um, you really just don't understand all the nuances. And so you, for those of you who have lost loved ones, specifically through death, uh, you can offer and extend empathy in a way that other people can't. And it's not that the other person is being narcissistic, but, but sometimes you just you just don't know, right? I remember when my grandmother died, I was like, well, I was 18. And death was just so foreign, right? At 18, you feel like you're going to live forever, right? You're invincible. And I loved my grandmother. We were not we were not like super close. I mean, I loved her. I knew her well. Uh, I wept when she died. I felt that, but not like uh, some of the other people who have more recently uh, died over the last five years or so in my life. And so those deaths have given me a new appreciation uh, and and a new ability to uh, empathize with other people. So narcissism is something that all of us can display. There's a difference between that and narcissistic personality disorder. This is really the inability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Uh, it is all about you. It's you. Uh, it's it's manipulation in the sense of we build relationships with people solely for the purpose of how it's going to benefit us, how it's going to help us. Is it going to make us look good in the eyes of other people. And it's one of the things as I've listened to this podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill, really realizing how, how, how strategic he was in manipulating people for his own future gain. Like he could see uh, investing in people's lives because down the road it would help him rather than just pouring into somebody for the sake of pouring into them. And they make a really good point in one of, I think it was one of the the last episodes. I think it's episode number five. Uh, So episode either four or five. And they're talking about how he shepherded people and how he pastored them and that there were these incredible intimate moments, or at least people felt like they were connecting and having these intimate moments. And that's why it made it really difficult for them to see beyond and and to really see his character and to see what was happening. And here's why this is important. I know there's, there's going to be people out there who are going to talk trash about this particular podcast, the rise and fall of Mars Hill I'm talking about. And they, they talk about this in the first episode. So if you only listen to the first episode, listen all the way to the end, especially the last 10, 12 minutes, because they talk about why they decided to do this podcast. And there is something about us staying silent that that perpetuates it and allows this to continue to happen in the church. So Mars Hill collapsed in 2014 and we continue seven years later to see these personalities 
like applauded and lifted up and held up. Uh, since the collapse of Mars Hill, we've seen um, the fall of uh, Bill Hybels. We've seen the fall of Ravi Zacharias, Darren Patrick, um, who then also went on to take his own life. I better, I better double, I better fact check that. Okay, yes, Darren Patrick. Uh, he was removed uh, as the vice president of Acts 29, which is a church planning network that was originally, I believe, founded by Mars Hill, or at least Mars Hill was a part of that. Uh, and he was removed for a historical pattern of sin in his life. Here's why I think this is important. Um, so a few months ago, came all came out about Ravi Zacharias and his sexual misconduct. I'm just going to, that's not a very, that's kind of a very uh, PG term that I'm using, but I think it, it just, there's too much, there's too much for me to get into. So his sexual misconduct and that this repeatedly happens and repeatedly happens. And I, I was making the comment about how every time these kind of things happen, we, we really need to stop and we need to do uh, a spiritual assessment. We really need to allow uh, Psalm 51, uh, uh, O Lord, come and search my heart and see if there is any offensive way in me. We really need to use this. For those of us who are pastors, we really need to uh, take a step back. And this is a time where we're like, oh, I got to do some self-examining, but especially of men. Now, I know the first thing people are going to say, well, and which is the first thing people said when I posted this was, women fall morally too. Yes, they do. But percentage wise, percentage wise, there is, there is a huge gap. The, the number of women who fall morally versus the percentage of men who fall morally. And they said, well, there's four of them. Okay. That's first of all, that's not how percentages work. All right. So if we have a hundred pastors and 50 of them fall morally, that's 50% of the men, right? If we have a hundred women clergy and 30 of them fall morally that's 30 percent so i don't care what i don't care how you do the numbers it has nothing to do with how many are ordained percentage wise uh, is astronomical i think there's a lot of reasons for it and one of the reasons is every time somebody falls morally we fail to stop and use it as an opportunity for us to take an inventory of our own heart. It should be one of the first things we do when we see that is take an inventory of our own soul. And, and anyway, I got a lot of pushback on that comment that I made about Ravi Zacharias and that us taking a, a spiritual inventory. And here's the problem. And I see this often. Oh, I have like, what, 1700 followers on Facebook, something like that. And a lot of those are people in my network who are not Christians. And they talk about, uh, they talk about these moral failings. The problem is, is when you have all these mega church, that's all they see. That's all they see. So for unchurched people, that's all they are seeing are these huge moral failings. And they, what they don't see is the rest of the church holding our leaders accountable. And it really hurts those of us who are authentically living the gospel preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, our character reflects the gospel, right? It penalizes us 
when we refuse to hold our leaders accountable. It makes it even harder to reach the unchurched. That's why it's important for us to have podcasts like this and to look at it and to analyze it and say, what in the world went wrong? Okay, now this is going to be a spoiler. Uh, Sorry about this. So if you haven't listened to episode one and you really hate spoilers, like fast forward through the next, you know, 30, 60 seconds. But at the end of the first episode, they say, okay, who, who is really responsible for the rise and fall of Mars Hill? And you know what? All of us, we are all responsible. We have gotten so caught up in our individual, individualistic society that we want to say, oh, it's Mark Driscoll, it's, the, it's their elders board, it's the SBC, it's just a Southern Baptist Conference for those of you who aren't familiar with, with that acronym. But no, the scriptures make it clear that God holds us all accountable because there were those of us who saw it and we didn't speak up. Now there were a few like Rachel Held Evans and Sarah Bessie and some other leaders who were, who were speaking up and saying, what in the world? is going on there in Seattle. And I'm going to tell you what, as I've listened to this podcast, it gets scarier and scarier because it was really bad. Like those of us on the outside looking in, we didn't know the half of it. And even when you listen to the podcast, they'll tell you uh, they censored a lot of it. Like they're not even really sharing the bad stuff, um, which makes me really nervous. And also I should... If you do listen to episode five, which is the things we do to women, that's that's the name of episode five. It's very PG-13. It's it's graphic. It's, apparently, it's not very graphic. They took out the very graphic stuff, but it is graphic. Uh, so just to let you know, you know, there's a warning at the beginning of the episode. You don't want to listen to it with children around. Um, and some of you who are still... For some of you who are listening, who've experienced abuse, if you are still fresh in that and you've not gotten counseling, uh, I should say trigger warning. They should have actually said trigger warning at the beginning of it. But they, anyway, they give, they give a, they make it explicit that it's pretty graphic. All right. So what does this have to do with the infinite game? Uh, so kind of like two things I'm that I've been processing in my head, the Mark Driscoll thing and then Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game, which he actually borrowed from another guy whose name I can't remember at the moment. I'll link to both of those in the show notes, though. Uh, the, the original book of the guy who introduced this idea of The Infinite Game. So let me talk about The Infinite Game, and then I'm going to try to connect it to the Mark Driscoll thing and, and kind of see what we have here um, and mesh it together. Although I'd really love to get somebody on here who's listened to the Mark Driscoll, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast and read The Infinite Game and see if we can't, uh, that would be a, that would be a fun conversation to hash that the, the two of those things out. But the idea in The Infinite Game is uh, there are finite games uh, and infinite games. So we're talking about game theory here in particular. Finite games are those games who have, the, there's known players, there is a gr- an agreed upon set of rules. There is a set time frame or time limit. In other words, you know when the game ends, right? It might not, maybe it's not necessarily three hours. Uh, it could be in the sense of like think about baseball. There's nine innings. You understand all of these rules, and that 
at the end of the game, there is a clear winner and a clear loser. And then you have a set, agreed upon set of rules that you're going to follow. And if you don't follow those rules, you'll be penalized for the rule. You'll be penalized. When you get done, there will be someone who is victorious, right? It's an us versus them mentality. Now, an infinite game theory says there are both known and unknown players. New players can enter at any time in the game and players can exit at any time in the game. There is a generalized agreed upon set of rules, but those rules can change and morph as time goes on. The game does not have a clear ending. The focus of an infinite game is the, the focus is on meaning and purpose. So it's a, it's a meaning and purpose driven game theory. And the goal really is to just stay in the game, right? Stay in the game as long as you can. Uh, whereas finite, the, the focus of that game theory is victory. And there will be a clear, clear winner and a clear loser at the end of it. Now, I think here's what I think is important. We have, especially in the last 50 to 70 years, we have taken a finite game theory approach to the church, especially here in the West and especially here in the United States. But actually, the church runs on the runs on this idea of infinite game theory, right? Because because it's relationship based. There are no winners and losers in marriage. There, nobody is out there winning at evangelism. And even the terminology we use about winning people to Christ is terrible language. I think that it has set us up because we've been using finite game theory and a finite game theory approach to the church that it has naturally created an environment where we get the Mark Driscolls of the church, right? We're so hung up on counting baptisms and conversions and how much money did you raise? Like every time I go to an event, I'm like, oh my word. Even we went, we had a denominational meeting recently and I was, and other people were asking me like how many people have come back to your church and like they're asking me about our numbers even though our denomination has temporarily suspended counting attendance like the denomination has suspended counting attendance but pastors are still taking attendance because they don't know anything else they, they don't know how to define quote-unquote success which is this idea of a finite game theory. But what if instead of counting butts and seats, because let me tell you, let me tell you about something. Um, that does not determine the health of a church, right? Uh, Mars, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill alone should give us a clue that numbers, the amount of people attending your church service on Sunday mornings does not determine whether or not your congregation is healthy. It doesn't. Uh, we know now that Willow Creek was not healthy. There was uh, sexual abuse. There was uh, leadership abuse. There was abuse of power. And they're not the only church. So what if, instead of looking at those things, what if we, okay, wait, wait, I want to go back real quick. Hold on. 
because we, we even do this with spiritual formation. I was, I was having a conversation with someone about this. We even do this. We use this finite game theory approach to our spiritual disciplines, right? Like we want to know how many times did you read the Bible this week? How many times did you pray? Okay, now let's just use that in relationship. Just, let's just put that in relationship context because we are talking about a relationship. It's a divine being, right? God is divine, but it's still a relationship. If I said to somebody and someone asked us, how's my marriage doing right now? And I said, well, I had seven conversations with my husband this week. They would think I lost my freaking mind. I, what, what does that have to do with anything? Right? Not only that, but those seven conversations could have been like, hey, what do you want for dinner tonight? Hey, what time is your meeting tomorrow? Like, that does not determine whether or not you have a healthy marriage. Those of you who are married or who have been married know that how often you talk with your spouse uh, does not determine whether or not your marriage is healthy, right? So what what does determine whether or not you have a healthy marriage? You know, it's not that different than what should determine whether or not you have a healthy church. How do you treat people? What is your character like? Do we look more like Christ today than we did last week or last month or last year or five years ago? What about our congregation? Does our congregation as a whole exhibit the characters of Christ more now than it did five years ago? How are we living into our community? What if we applauded or rewarded congregations that worked together and partnered with other churches? right? Instead of competing with one another. What if we rewarded them for working together? You know, kind of like in the New Testament, when Paul's like, you don't even know those people, and yet you sent an offering over there so that the gospel could continue. Man, I know that there's going to be someone who's going to be like, but what about Acts, where it says, and 5,000 people were added to the church that day. Okay, yeah, that's great, but you also know what the book of Acts repeatedly over and over and over, they say uh, they were people of prayer. Uh, they were eating together. There was fellowship. They shared their resources with one another. They took care of one another. They looked out for one another. They prayed for one another. It says the community was overwhelmed with how much they loved one another. Jesus said this in John's gospel, and he, it was a command, and it was also a prophecy. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another, by how you love one another. And so I think that there is this idea, that's why, that's why I feel like they go hand in hand, of using this finite game theory approach to the church that has created just narcissistic pastors. Like That's not who we are supposed to be. That is not who we are supposed to be. And I know that we all have really bad days. I always hate it when I have to go back and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. I lost my mind for just a moment. I'm sorry. Let's talk about that. Right. But I think that if you, if you're going back to people and you're saying I was wrong, uh, how can we sort this out? That shows that you are, you're moving towards working together, reconciliation, cooperation, so often I see leaders, church leaders, who, I mean, they just go off on people and never, 
Never do they go back and say, hey, I was completely out of line. Or, you know what? That was out of line. I was exhausted. Can we have this conversation again? Can I, can I get a second run at that, right? That's very different from the abuse of power. If you listen to the podcast, he, they give several examples of it. And I've seen it even in my own denomination where people just are not willing to come back and say, I'm, hey, I'm sorry. I was out of, I was out of line. Please forgive me. Like even in a text, <laughs> I guess it depends on how big it is. If it's, if it's a faux pas, you could probably get away with a text or an email, but sometimes you just better pick up the phone or go see somebody face to face and apologize. It's why it's so important that we rest. I am getting ready to leave uh, on Monday for my five-day prayer retreat. I started doing these twice a year um, in 2020. I uh, just started getting so burnt out that I did find myself a counselor. And, and one of the things we've kind of said, hey, if you're going to stay in this game, right? Think, thinking back to infinite game theory. If you're going to stay in the game right now due to the pandemic, you need to be taking like a four-day weekend about every six weeks. So for those of you who are pastors and you're listening to this, you're going to have to program that in. I don't, I don't know. You're going to have to be willing to say no to more things in order to schedule a four-day weekend every six weeks. Maybe you can't give up a Sunday, but you could do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Typically, my days have been off in the past, pre-COVID, uh, have been Mondays and Saturdays. Those have been my days off. But due to the pandemic, I have been taking Mondays, mostly Mondays and Tuesdays off because I just need those two days together. Uh, sometimes I have to still take half a day off on Saturday. If we're going to stay in the game, Jesus says in Matthew 10, when he sends out his disciples, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And, and so you should be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And, but, if you, but if you stay strong to the end, if you stay strong to the end, the only way we're going to stay strong to the end is if we learn to rest, we learn to pull back, we learn which are the hills we want to die on, because uh, there's a whole lot of hills right now. There's a whole lot of hills we could choose to die on. And you know what? Let somebody else die on that hill. You know, pick like two or three and then let somebody else have the others. And we're not always going to do it perfectly, which is why we need grace and why we need mercy, you know, from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're not always going to do it perfectly. There's a difference between being tired, overextended and falling on our face, which I think a lot of it is embedded in us, uh, embedded in our DNA because of this finite game theory approach that we use to the church. If we could really wrap our brains around this idea of infinite game theory, I think that it would help a lot of us. Last year, like I stopped counting everything. And the whole irony was that we, we actually, like we, we grew. We connected more intentionally. We connected with more purpose in our community. We connected with one another. We, we had hard conversations. Uh, we disagreed, but then we were able to come back and say, you know what? Just because we disagree, we can still be friends. Like you can be, you can disagree with your friends 
and still be friends. You can be disappointed in your friends and they can still be your friend. This whole binary mindset and approach that we have to the church is killing us. It is killing the church from the inside out. And so the only way that we are really going to survive the fallout, I think, of the, the, the cultural shifts that are happening right now is if we start taking a more infinite game theory approach to the church, which it sounds for, for women who are listening, like, I mean, maybe men too, but for women, whenever we, whenever we talk about game theory and we try to apply it to the church or like marriage or anything like that, like it wigs us out, doesn't it? Like it wigs me out. Like I'm like, this is not a game. <laughs> this is serious. Uh, for whatever reason, men don't have that problem. Game theory really has nothing to do with games. It has to do with uh, economic structure and the way that we interact uh, socioeconomically with one another. I guess here's what I kind of want to leave you with in this episode. This is a good time to, t- to make a major paradigm shift mentally um, mentally make it make a paradigm shift in leading your church or leading in in a church you know maybe you're not the lead pastor but you lead ministries uh, or lead teams or whatever this is a good time to make a paradigm shift everything's already messed up anyway we might as well lean into something new uh, stop counting all the junk just stop you know, we've really made a point of telling God at work stories. How do we see God's hand at work all around us, but especially in our faith communities and then the larger community where we find ourselves uh, geographically? And then the other thing I would say is now is also a good time. Well, definitely go listen to that podcast, <laughs> at least the first episode, the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and do some, do some soul searching. Ask God. Uh, where do I kind of need to uh, really focus and hone in on a particular part of my life or part of my character that we've stopped focusing on or just not been intentional about, or maybe has the shadow side is uh, starting to leak through, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, it's a good time to do some reflecting. I know we're not really out of the pandemic, so there's a certain amount where we're kind of exhausted. If you don't have a counselor, if you're a pastor and you don't have a counselor, I'm just going to tell you right now, you need a counselor. Everybody should have a counselor. The sooner, the better, and as often as possible. Uh, maybe you're like, I'm just not ready for a counselor. Okay, how about a spiritual spiritual director? How about a spiritual director? Get a spiritual director. Once a month, or a mentor, or a coach. I have, I have all three, because I really need help being an introvert and all of this tension of the pandemic. Maybe... It has nothing to do with that, and it's just the season that we're in. But I suspect that we we can only be so self-aware. And then there's a certain amount where we need somebody on the outside looking in saying, okay, but what about this thing right here? What about this thing right here? Maybe you should do something with this thing right here. Uh, nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants somebody to point at us and say, what about that thing? But, you know, there's people out there who love you. And who will gently say, what if you work on this? Just work on this for like the next three months. And they're saying it because they love us and they want us to be healthier and they want us to be more like Christ. All right, there's my two cents on Mark Driscoll and the infinite game and Jesus. 
who really, really is pulling for you. 